Warning, some of the language heard in this episode could be offensive to young or sensitive listeners. So there's like three parts to the conspiracy, right? One is to get Larry Householder elected Speaker of the House. Larry Householder is hereby declared and elected the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Two is to get House Bill 6 passed. This bill will save ratepayers $1.3 billion. And three is to keep it passed. The legislature votes on something. It needs to stay along. From WOSU Public Media, this is The Power Grab. How dark money and dirty politics led to the biggest bribery scandal in Ohio history. I'm your host, Renee Fox. In our last episode, we learned of a political scheme to bring Larry Householder to power. First Energy wanted Ohioans to bail out their underperforming nuclear power plants. In exchange for introducing a bill that would pay subsidies to the company, Householder received all the capital he needed to fund a slate of loyal candidates. And the strategy paid off. But getting the job done would require putting results over ethics and profit over principle. Episode 2, An Unholy Alliance. Political alliances forged between rivals are not always pretty, but they often work. This scheme brought together opposing forces, people who weren't used to working together and even hated each other. But they all had a common goal, propping up First Energy. The company cried poor mouth as it pitched a bailout to Ohio politicians. But the company wasn't too broke to dump millions of dollars in illegal bribes to fund Larry Householder's takeover of the Ohio House. Or to spend millions of dollars securing the votes of other politicians on both sides of the aisle. For years, the company worked to get Ohio lawmakers to pass bills to bail out First Energy Solutions to nuclear power plants. They tried three times, but the bills went nowhere. This time, it was do or die, and they were willing to pay. Pay to get Householder in power as Speaker of the House, pay to get Republicans to work with Democrats, and pay two GOP lobbyists who hated each other, Neil Clark and Matt Borges, to become partners in crime. In this episode, we'll explore how Householder rounded up votes to secure the speakership and how he strong-armed opponents of the bill he promised to First Energy, known as HB6. We'll see how First Energy's team reacted to a campaign to fight the bill and how the conspirators scrambled to keep it all together as federal investigators honed in. But first, how a corporation with deep pockets got political enemies to work together. There are a lot of players on the green in Ohio's capital, and even though Republicans hold a supermajority, they have their own factions. Clark called some of them cavemen in his self-published memoir. The ultra-conservative caveman faction. Ben Geith, Buzz Kukin, Mike DeWine, John Kasich, Tom Van Meter... Gary Here, a voice actor reads from Clark's book. Most drink the Kool-Aid of a smaller government, no new taxes, and the evils of welfare handouts. Most reflected the extreme attitudes of a small portion of their districts. Each lawmaker carries a unique combination of values and special influences, of pet projects and regional interests. Oh, and donors, of course. 
With nearly as many teams as there were players, First Energy couldn't gamble on just one horse in the race. No, there was a billion dollars at stake. That billion dollars would come from new charges tacked onto electric bills in the name of saving the power plants on Lake Erie. The company used its influence to seek advantageous laws from other states and the federal government. In Ohio, First Energy brought on several lobbyists to work in tangent to Householder. Executives, lobbyists, and other staff created hundreds of documents outlining their strategy. They used diagrams and Excel spreadsheets to keep track of favorable lawmakers and budgets. There were countless email and text message threads planning meetings with lobbyists and lawmakers. Enemies came together to form what lobbyist Matt Borges called an unholy union, an unholy alliance. Borges worked as a lobbyist at the firm Retzel and Andres, and according to testimony, the firm's biggest client was First Energy. Here, in an FBI secret recording, Borges describes the team's working relationship. Not one of mutual respect, but one of raw political purpose. So it's this unholy alliance between Larry and First Energy and Russell, because even though First Energy, even though Russell doesn't care about Larry, right? Um, he's helping with the issue that our single largest client cares a lot about, right? And um, a reminder. The FBI recordings used in the podcast have been enhanced with audio tools to make them easier to understand. The content has not been edited. So unless you're somehow affiliated directly with First Energy, mm-hmm. or work for Res. 1 Andrus, or, or just want to suck up to Larry, you're on your side. Right. That's it. That's my I get world. that. Yeah. And, you know. Borges was chair of the state's Republican Party for four years, but he was forced out. He supported former Ohio Governor John Kasich over Donald Trump during the presidential primary race in 2016. Neil Clark hated Kasich, and Householder was a devoted Trump supporter. Borges' attorney, Todd Long, summed it up at the trial. Borges and Householder... They had political rivalries going back years. They weren't personal friends. In fact, they didn't really like each other. All we have is the transcript because recording devices were not allowed in the court. Long defended Borges during the 2023 trial by saying that his client was no insider at First Energy. Mike Dowling, a First Energy executive, he's like a vice president. That's right up there. He called Matt Borges a boob, a boob. The collaboration did not leave Borges with a sense of camaraderie toward Clark. He described the relationship while the FBI recorded him speaking to an informant. Neil, who has used to write shit about me on his blog all the time, trying to cut my nuts off for years. Right now, it's like we're best friends. The other day, we we, we got this meeting. He goes, hey, you know who you remind me of? You remind me of Mike Pompeo. I was just watching Pompeo on TV. He's you. He's he's your mannerisms. He's the way you talk. So he starts calling me Pompeo, and I'm like, Neil, we're not buddies. Stop it. No. He's a fucking psychopath. Despite his dislike for his collaborators, Borges was getting paid. Prosecutors say he took in nearly $400,000, and his company saw more than a million by the time it all came to an end. The only people that are on my side is, is this fucking company. That's right. It. Before the team was ready to focus on First Energy's legislation, they had to make Householder Speaker. The Speaker of the House sets the legislative agenda and makes committee appointments. It was crucial to their plan, and it wasn't going to be easy. 
Karen Kassler is a longtime political reporter and bureau chief of the Ohio Public Radio State House News Bureau. She said legislators knew what Householder was after when he came back to the House. He was angling for a second stint as Speaker. He first held the position from 2001 to 2004. When he came back the second time, uh, and of course there's all these stories about the first time, how he rose to power and, and just how really carefully calculated he was in terms of getting to the speaker's job. The second time around, he came back and he was clearly angling for speaker. And you could tell from the moment he was elected. Householder only had a handful of allies when he took office in 2016. But he started 2019 with a couple of dozen loyal comrades after spending $2 million on their elections. Scott Pullins, an attorney of Householders, said the candidates they sought had the same type of voting base as Householder and Trump in 2016. People that work, you know, for manufacturing companies or beer companies or whatever, they may be members of labor union, but, you know, uh, they support the Second Amendment. They support lower taxes. Uh, they, they tend to be pro-life. They, they want a strong national defense, but they also don't want us intervening in endless wars. Householders spent time strategizing with Clark on speaker votes while the primary races were still going on the year before. Here, Householder shares his strategy to support candidate Scott Olslager. So we've been having discussions with Olslager's primary opponent about mm-hmm. uh, him getting out of the race. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to come in, I think it's Thursday of this week, and sit down with me uh, and talk to me about it. <clears throat> and I'm sure he's going to want something to, uh, to get out, <clears throat> which I'm fine with doing. But, you know, if I'm going to burn political capital, I want to just make certain that Scott's going to come out and publicly uh, support me for speaker uh, just as soon as we get past the filing deadline here. The political capital Householder expended appears to have been worth it. Olslager was elected. Pullins said the established Republicans were aware of Householder's plans and tried to stop him. When Larry returned to the House in 2017, uh, Cliff Rosenberger was the speaker. And his hand-picked successor was uh, a gentleman from Gallia County named Ryan Smith. You know, those two guys uh, went out and uh, raised money from lobbyists. And, he said they tried to quash his rise to power by funding his opponents. And, um, you know, tried to take out Larry at 16 and then uh, not only him in 18, but also candidates that were aligned with us. Pullins said the drama with Rosenberger and Smith started a dark money race. Rosenberger would have left office at the end of 2018 anyway, but the FBI started asking questions about his travel and apparent coziness with the payday lending lobby. News broke in April that year of an early morning FBI raid at Speaker Rosenberger's home. The investigation never resulted in charges, but Rosenberger resigned. As planned, Smith succeeded him, but it took 11 rounds of voting, and the hard-fought victory would be short-lived. At the beginning of 2019, a new House was seated, and a new vote for Speaker was held. Smith ran to keep the position with the support of 34 Republicans, but Householder found himself surrounded with a lot more friends. His old buddy Scott Olslager nominated him on the floor of the House. Mr. Speaker, it's an honor for me to rise to place the name of Larry Householder 
and nomination for Speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives. Olslager praised Householder. He quoted from a speech Ronald Reagan gave during his first inauguration. He called the segment Heroes. Their patriotism is quiet but deep. Their values sustain our national life. Please join me in supporting Representative Larry Householder for Speaker of the Ohio House so we as the People's House can work together to improve the lives of all the people of Ohio, those heroes of Ohio. Counting all of the new Republicans Householder brought to the House in January 2019, he still only had 26 backers. The math wasn't adding up. But there was another way to come up with the votes. Karen Kassler with the State House News Bureau. He worked with Democrats because he had needed Democratic votes to become Speaker. Householder was known for his conservative stances. He is pro-gun, anti-abortion, and oversaw a ban on same-sex marriage as Speaker in 2003. It was an unusual move at the time. The majority party typically agrees on a Speaker without input from the minority party. Householder promised the Democrats he'd keep anti-union, right-to-work legislation off the table and be more bipartisan. The plan worked. The majority of all the votes cast, Larry Householder is hereby declared and elected the Speaker of the House of Representatives. 70% of the Democrats voted for Householder. Their numbers pushed him over the threshold at the urging of labor union donors. Some called it a deal with the devil. Tonight, Larry Householder is Ohio's new House Speaker. Today's vote, though, was full of controversy. Householder needed 50 votes to win the Speaker's job. He received 52. Neither the Republican caucus nor the Democrat caucus were united today, each of them splitting their vote for two candidates. It was the minority Democrats who tipped the scales for Larry Householder, making up about half of the 52 votes in his favor. The minority leader was against it and resigned a few days after the vote. Householder's first speech called for a new, bipartisan standing subcommittee on energy generation. He also promised to work with the factions of the House that didn't vote for him. For those of you that supported me in the Speaker's race, obviously we're going to work together. For those of you that didn't support me in this Speaker's race, well, that means I've got to earn your respect and your trust moving forward. The events of the next several months would challenge that claim as Householder and friends pushed HB6 to the finish line. In the meantime, team members texted about the latest victory. Householder thanked his benefactors for making it possible. But it was back to business. The team members worked on drafting the legislation. It was quickly introduced after Householder was sworn in, four months later in April. Once introduced, team Householder representatives spoke up for it on the floor, like Jamie Callender here at a July 2019 hearing. In addition, this bill will save ratepayers $1.3 billion. I'll repeat that. It will save ratepayers $1.3 billion. Here, Dave Griffin with First Energy Solutions, the subsidiary that owned the nuclear plants, argued how the bailout was preserving clean energy production. He said if the bill died... Two things will happen. Harmful emissions will go up, and thousands of well-paying jobs in Ohio will cease to exist. This doesn't have to happen. While HB6 supporters made the case for the bill in hearings, the lobbyists worked on the members who weren't supportive. 
Neil Clark described his efforts to get the vote of Republican David Greenspan while talking to the FBI agents he believed were his clients. The speaker calls me two weeks ago. You got to get his vote. I know. I it's it. Speaker, I know. You didn't have to call me. I know what I had to do. So I called this guy. And he goes, I can't vote for it. And I said, Dave, you have to vote for it. I don't think you understand. You don't do this, your bill's dead. At the time, Greenspan was sponsoring a bill that would have legalized sports betting in Ohio. The bill's probably never going to come off, and you'll have give a fucking opinion about your about what you believe in. Nobody cares about that. Nobody. Clark told the undercover FBI agents over the phone that Householder was mad at Greenspan, and he would hold a grudge. The speaker was really irritated um, over the weekend, and he, the speaker's the type of guy that once he gets once he gets you in his mind in a negative way, you never come out. Okay. Householder killed Greenspan's bill. Well, the speaker calls him and says, you're not getting any fucking bill. Hey, I'm getting it my way, or you're not getting anything. I mean, he just made it very clear. I'm putting these in other places, and that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. Householder ally Scott Polins denied that those dynamics existed. Larry Householder and Neil Clark did a lot of boasting and and blowing steam about people, but the facts were that people that didn't vote for HB6, there was no punishment. People that didn't vote for Larry Householder for Speaker, there were no punishments. In fact, they were rewarded in order to try to bring the caucus back together as a family. But Clark clearly states how Householder wielded his power in multiple recorded conversations. He went up to some of the lobbyists and he said, uh, let me tell you something. If I don't get what I want, you'll never have sports betting. By the way, that sports betting bill, it did get passed, but after Greenspan left office. HB6 met resistance elsewhere. Clark complained to an undercover FBI agent that Governor Mike DeWine's office wasn't more helpful in solidifying support for the bill. I have to tell you that on HB6, the governor took that about $3 million from First Senate. For what? $3 million from the utility company for his soft dollar seaboard. Did he? Yeah. And when they needed him, you know what he did? Turned his back. Now he wants to come in, now he's passed the House, he wants to help in the Senate. The team spent more than $20 million on mailers, polls, and ads that marketed the bill as a clean energy initiative. They told them to pressure their local reps and state senators to pass it. The American Petroleum Institute smoke-filled rooms in smoke-filled skies. They're working to stop the Ohio Clean Air Program, opposing reform, killing Ohio jobs, and sending our money to neighboring states. Why? So they can create a monopoly on energy in Ohio. See past the American Petroleum Institute smokescreen. Clean air and clean energy begin with clean government. Ask your representative to support the Ohio... The American Petroleum Institute backs the oil and natural gas industry. They donated at least $1 million to the $5 million effort to stop the bill. 
Their lobbyists said the bill unfairly benefited one company above its competitors and drained taxpayers. And now, First Energy Solutions wants you to pay off its Wall Street creditors. That's right. Under House Bill 6, $300 million tax dollars a year would be used to bail out First Energy Solutions nuclear plants, all by creating a special tax on your utility bill. Enough is enough. Call your legislators and say no to House Bill 6. First Energy subsidiaries across multiple states generate electricity by burning coal, gas, and some oil. They also use nuclear power, wind, and hydroelectric power. All these competing interests morphed the bill over time to bring on more yes votes. The final version didn't just funnel money to the First Energy parent company and bail out First Energy solutions. It also stripped away renewable energy mandates passed in 2008, and it created a pipeline of subsidies to coal plants. Householder said he spun the bill like this. When the press has asked me about this, what I've told them, I've said, who's funding House Bill 6? Is this, uh, it's simple. It's Ohio company that wants, wants to stay in Ohio. And it's Ohio workers that want jobs in Ohio. Opponents railed against HB 6. They said it purported to save jobs, but killed them in the energy efficiency industry and put the state behind in expanding renewable generation. People who liked the bill said it would save money by avoiding transition costs. Consumer advocates said lower efficiency standards and less investment in renewable energy generation would cost Ohioans more in the long run. Others argued First Energy should play by the rules of the free market, and the bill gave them an unfair advantage. Clark was in Nashville on the day the vote was held. At a speakeasy called House of Cards, he told the FBI the speaker nearly spent a few thousand dollars to charter a state-owned plane to taxi lawmakers to Columbus for the vote. So if, if there is a floor session and you're not there, we can actually come and get you, okay? Well, so they, they had five people that they needed to come into town today to vote on this, this HB6. So Larry went to the governor, said, they're not in town. I need Iowa Patrol to go use the plane to pick them up and bring them in. The plan was nixed when the press got wind of it. And the bill scraped by with one vote. DeWine signed it the same day. And tonight, the Ohio Clean Air Act has been signed into law. Supporters say it saves jobs by bailing out two nuclear power plants, but critics say at the cost of lowering Ohio's renewable energy standards. Republicans got nine Democrats to help. But some Republicans went against the party leadership and voted no. Greenspan included. Ohioans Against Corporate Bailouts organized opposition to HB 6 into a referendum to repeal the bill. Former U.S. Attorney David DeVillers said the team's reaction to that repeal effort launched the third prong of a criminal enterprise. So there's like three parts to the, to the conspiracy, right? One is to get Larry Householder elected Speaker of the House. Two is to get House Bill 6 passed. And three is to keep it passed through the ballot initiative to reverse it, right? DeViller said this stage of the saga was the most expensive. It wasn't ideal, but the bank still had plenty in the war chest, and the team could still fight for the bill. 
Householder and Rep. Jay Edwards discussed it at a September 2019 dinner. It is so important that they're not successful because when the legislature votes on something, it needs to stay law. Yeah, well, and it's beginning of your speakership. It sets a bad precedent for the next six years, but we need to make them realize you can't be fucked with. That's yeah. Edwards was known as a close ally. He was majority whip during Householder's speakership. The FBI started paying attention to Clark long before that dinner at Aubergine, we heard in episode one. The first undercover recordings of Clark and Householder on the phone are from late 2017 and early 2018. But this dinner was the first time Clark got Householder and the FBI agents in the same room. The FBI was working a different corruption case when their interest in Householder was sparked. There was some stuff going on in Cincinnati, mostly with city city council. And um, we had some FBI agents that were undercover that were involved in that. And they just kind of stumbled on some stuff. Has nothing to do with city council, but with has something to do with the, the Householder people. DeVillers started leading the U.S. Attorney's Office in Cincinnati in 2019. He said attorneys were already investigating the case. We, we had an idea, you know, something funky was going on, but we, we didn't know what. The Cincinnati case and the Householder investigation both involved a retired Cincinnati Bengal turned real estate developer. He wore a wire for the FBI and facilitated the first meeting in Columbus between Clark and the agents. Ohioans Against Corporate Bailouts was organizing against HB6. They wanted to repeal the law by putting it before voters. To make it to the ballot, they needed to collect 266,000 signatures. As the repeal effort started gathering steam, the FBI found another way to get their listening devices into more rooms. A whistleblower was about to step forward. We heard from Tyler Furman in episode one. He is the former Central Ohio Republican operative who worked the campaign of two team householder candidates. Matt Borges was the guy who connected Furman to the team. But later, Furman was offered a position with Ohioans against corporate bailouts. This would put Furman at odds with Borges and team householder. But Furman didn't think HB6 should be law. I believed that House Bill 6 was very bad legislation. As as someone who doesn't believe in government bailing out corporations, um, as someone who cares about the environment. um, And it just, it was an offensive piece of legislation to me. And when I was presented the opportunity to help manage the repeal effort, I was immediately interested. He called Borges to see how he'd react. Would he feel betrayed if he took the job? I told him about the opportunity and and his response was, man, we're going to be on opposite sides of things. That's just politics. And, you know, there's no, you know, it's not going to hurt our relationship. It's just business and you should do it. This would be a great opportunity for you. You know, this is what you're good at. It's what you know. Go for it. And so I was excited. I decided to take the opportunity and immediately jumped in on the petitioning effort to repeal the bill. He had to hire signature collectors enough to send them across the state to collect thousands of signatures. 
It was a massive project. The group gathered enough preliminary signatures to get ballot language approved when Furman heard from his friend and mentor. So we got together and he was like, hey, how are things going on the campaign? Are you enjoying it? Normal things that you'd talk with a friend about, even when you're on opposite sides. And, you know, just tell him, yeah, it's it's a lot of work. It's going to be kind of crazy, but I'm hopeful. I think we can do this. I've got a good team. And then the conversation turned. He made <laughs> no effort to hide what he was asking me. He literally just said, you know what? If you're willing to provide me with information about the campaign that I need, stuff that only you would know, I can make sure that you're very well taken care of. Tyler wasn't interested, but he told Borges he would think it over. He's asking me to betray the trust of this team that I'm working to build, folks that are literally giving seven days a week, 12 to 15 hours a day until this is over, just to try and get the signatures to make it possible for the people of Ohio to vote on whether or not this legislation is something they want. And it just, it was so gross. Tyler texted him. My integrity is not for sale. And if I took you up on this offer, I would not be the same person that you chose to invest energy and, and effort into. You know, I, I, I can't do this. And what came next was just shocking to me. He responded with, no matter what, don't ever tell anyone about our conversation. And that's when, you know, I knew it was wrong, but that's when I knew that there was something larger at play. Through a friend of a friend, Furman got in touch with the FBI. This is Special Agent Blaine Wetzel. He's the special agent in charge of the investigation. I gave him every single detail I possibly could. And at the end of the conversation, he said, Tyler, we cannot force you to do anything, but... If you're willing, reach back out to Matt, tell him that you thought about it a little bit more and that you'd like to take him up on his offer. And then we would like to work with you to record some of those conversations. So Tyler went along with it. He wore a wire and he recorded his meeting with Borges. He asked how the bribe would work. Okay. Um, Well, how do we do it? Homie, ASAP, give me a number. You guys want to know that? It's very, very helpful to know where you're at. And, you know, I can meet you tomorrow. I get check. Okay. All right. Do you have a LLC or you just just you personally? Or? Me personally. You do it over a couple of months so that, you know, it doesn't last. Okay. Is it, so 15 and then 10 later or is that? That's what I was thinking. All right. Perfect. And that kicked off what would be the most harrowing few months of my life. As Borges plied Furman for information about how the repeal effort was going, Furman recorded their conversations on equipment the FBI gave him. The recording device was not, you know, because I was like, oh my gosh, I've seen The Sopranos, you know, wire to my chest, like, they're going to find it. Like, what happened? They don't use those. They gave me a key fob. Key ring, set your keys on the table. This will record everything. And Borges was afraid Furman would turn on him. And, uh, you know, I get a call from Randy Ludlow about this, and we'll blow your house up. If that was a bit hard to hear, that's Borges telling Furman he'd blow up his house if word got out about their arrangement. Randy Ludlow was a political reporter for the Columbus Dispatch at the time. 
Here, Furman recalls the conversation. It's it's nerve-wracking when a close friend and mentor, you know, makes an offer like that and then starts acting different and says things like, you know, if you if you mess with us, we'll blow up your house or you know, if you say anything to anyone, this will be bad for us, but it will be much worse for you. Borges tried to justify the deal the two had. Nothing, I could tell whoever I wanted. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. Legal about it. There's nothing, you know, even unethical about it. Do I want my name associated with something like that for whatever become public? No. So how would I defend myself? I'd fucking trash you. Right. Meanwhile, Clark had a unique method to stall signature collection efforts. They hired ballot firms to do nothing. So they, they'd kind of float up. They paid them. I think there's millions of dollars going to these these firms just to do nothing. It would be near impossible to stop people from signing petitions to repeal a bill that charges them more on electric bills. But what if the repeal effort couldn't get enough people to collect those signatures? We have done so much. We have we have now bought out uh, eight more signature collection firms. So that number is now up to like 25, twin sets. First Energy spent $38 million during this phase of the plan. And that, I think most of the money went into killing it, to killing the ballot initiative. Media buys stoked fears that the repeal effort came from a Chinese takeover of Ohio's energy grid. Mailers claim petition signers would be tracked by the Chinese government, that signature collectors were criminals. They paid signature-gathering firms ten, twenty-five, even dollars $100,000 in exchange for refusing to help the repeal effort. Clark said the average was $60,000 for the 25 firms they bought out. They hired private investigators to track where the signature collectors were going, then sent them to the same places to pressure people not to sign. Invoices from the PI came in. Bills were twenty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000. Cash from First Energy paid for registration searches on the vehicles of signature collectors, for devices to track their vehicles, and for background checks on the signature collectors themselves. The repeal effort was offering their signature collectors $25 an hour, so HB6 defenders offered them $26 an hour to stop. Representative Jay Edwards offered to gather up help during that dinner with the crew at Aubergine. You need more bodies for that? You need more bodies for that? You'll take whatever you got. They got people. If you got people, you And Clark described their battle plan. Every day, every day we send out a crew of 235 people and we survey about 2,600 sons. Every library, this, that, never. So then we do a report every day of estimating how many signatures they got in this They were sure voters would overturn the bill if it made it to the ballot. After all the money and work Householder, First Energy, and their team invested in the plan, they weren't going to let the repeal effort put an end to the bailout. So the $40 million investment was deemed worth it. And the dirty tricks worked. The repeal effort didn't get enough signatures in time. HB6 became law.
next week on The Power Grab. It's a setup. Investigators were starting to learn more about Householder's plan, but the FBI needed to know more to prove Householder was in on how First Energy's money should be spent, to prove coordination between the lawmaker and the effort. They'd lean on the complicated relationship between Householder and Clark. The two had feuded in the past, but they hitched their horses to the same wagon. Clark thought it was a good, long-term strategy. I need the six years. That's right. Absolutely. Still, Clark was weary that the feds might be interested. This guy's wired. He had his suspicions about this group of hotel developers with southern accents. His gut told him they were FBI, but would he listen? He grew up with a dad in and out of federal prison, and he had watched from the sidelines as federal scandals broke out in the past. Clark was from a poor Cleveland neighborhood from a single-parent home. He got beat up on the football field and was told he wasn't smart enough to succeed. But he rose to be a major player in Columbus and helped shape Ohio politics into what it is today. Clark made his reputation by being ruthless, by doing whatever it took to win. The Power Grab is a production of WOSU Public Media and part of the NPR Network. It's written and hosted by me, Renee Fox. The show is produced and edited by Michael DeBonis. Audio engineering by Dalton Jones. Additional voice work from Kevin Petrilla and Rob Walker. Help us spread the word about the power grab. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple and Spotify or wherever you listen. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Did you know you are physically adapting to all your swiping, scrolling, and tapping? We're changing our bodies and what they're able to do through our habits. NPR's Body Electric, a special interactive series investigating how to fix the relationship between our tech and our health. Listen in the TED Radio Hour feed wherever you get your podcasts.